yeah, Tarantino, you shoot that Hitler in the face. <laughs> I'm not a Nazi, and I'm terrified of the bear shoe. That's a, that's a terrifying name. You what? heard it here first. Tucson is not a Nazi. Do you know who was originally slated for that role? I do not. Adam Sandler. I'm so glad really? that did yeah. not happen. Wow. Yeah. Adam Sandler is the oh bear Jew, but like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> here comes the bear Jew. I'm going to dress up as a woman now. Yeah. We make jokes. Fuck that guy. Not that we have to get into a film versus digital, or whatever. But oh, you could do that. We could, <laughs> I was going to say that. I could, but like, <laughs> digital hipster, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And it just like breaks to his like like French interpreter, and then it breaks to like him like having sex with her. And he has like this, yeah, and making this, those weird this, shrieks. This, this, this bleeding. <laughs> Horse neighing, like, yes. like, oh my god, it was just so fucked up. Wait, that, people don't do that? I hope not. <laughs> no, don't. Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, man. there is. An infallible way. They won. Well, it's a casino. People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot? Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? I don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it. It gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter. Fucking no. dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? <laughs> Hey there, welcome into episode 24 of Film Tank. I'm your host, Alex Diekman, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing the 2009 Quentin Tarantino movie, Inglorious Bastards. On today's episode, we have Nick Cheney here. Hi there, Alex. Hi there, Nick. You've gotten so lame here in the last few weeks. I don't know, it used to be so exciting wow. with your intros, and now they're just nothing. If you want me to leave the show, just tell me. We already kicked one person <laughs> off, so I'm mean, going to make two. Uh, Toussaint Egan also here as well. Hi, Alex. What? Hi. Wow. He just stole is, my intro. This is really bad. I'm, it's not usually like this. All right. Uh, the, the other voice you hear is not Kenny Marcellus. Uh, what? Whoa. <laughs> Who are you? Uh, it is a, a new person we have on this show. Her name is uh, Sam Shamara. Hey, how are you doing? I am doing well, and I think we all are from, from our amazing intros we have. Yeah, I gotta say, oh, yeah. I had a few intros they, in my head. They didn't that, happen. No, they didn't, because I started to think about what I could do, because I always try to, you know, pivot. Did you overthink? Over. I didn't overthink. I just, all the, the things that came to my head felt racially insensitive, because I was either <laughs> going to do, like, uh, some kind of German accent, or, like, a, like a bad Nazi joke, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go straight for the uh, standard, hello, Alex. Okay. 
Well, I mean, there are lots of, you know, bad Nazi things happening in Glorious Bastards, so it would have been okay. It would have been, but you know what? I don't see the world through that lens. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we God. love you, Nick. <laughs> Not really, but yeah. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> so, Sam, uh, since this is the first time on the show, we've all pretty much given the audience what our favorite movies are and what kind of genres we really like. So give you the floor here for a minute to tell everybody kind of what a film viewer you are. Um, well, first off, I do like live theater, which is completely separate. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely love kind of like darker works, essentially, like horror and thriller kind of stuff. Um, I'm really excited, actually, for Crimson Peaks. That looks that really comes good. out. It's... Yeah, I don't even of... like horror movies, but I'm excited. Yeah. That's the Guillermo del Toro <laughs> film, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, like that kind of stuff. Um, I also am a comic book movie kind of person too. So all of the Marvel films, I'm really you know kind of following those. I grew up like learning all about Marvel and DC comics like my entire life thanks to my dad. Um, shout out to dad. Um, <laughs> But like all of my like Marvel Universe knowledge comes from him and like his like ex- like expansive collection of Marvel comics. Um, aside from that, um, kind of gi- like dry comedy okay. movies too. Um, some of my favorite movies are Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, I want to say um, I really like August Osage County is a good one. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I love a, Meryl very- Streep. <laughs> Oh, well, that's not All okay. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. She's okay sometimes. All right. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones. Um, I really like the King's Speech, um, which okay. was with Colin Firth. Um, that one had won um, a couple of awards back when... Best Picture. Yeah. Um, so that one I really definitely like. Um, aside from that, I mean, just kind of open. I like Tarantino films as well. Um, Django Unchained is definitely one of my favorites so it's uh, good that you like tarantino films because we're talking about one i know so. right it's kind oh, of man. ironic i know yeah. it's so, so weird how that happened <laughs> we actually did almost do a uh, episode on this very movie a couple weeks ago we say, decided not he to. literally <laughs> at one point it was already like written down and he was like we're gonna do inglorious bastards and then nice. we, s- we, we switched, switched it up and did there will be blood instead yeah. so. okay yeah. So that was fortuitous. I know, right? It were, totally worked out. So yeah. thank you for sharing that, and hopefully That's the right. audience can have a, a better feel of uh, what you're into. Um, and speaking of us uh, talking about movies we're into, let's do a little weekend review, I guess. Um, and Sam, since you're already talking, why don't you uh, give us uh, give us a view of what your week was in terms of movie viewing and uh, TV viewing, too, if you want. Sure. Um, TV viewing, um, I definitely, I'm trying to catch up on a Showtime TV show called Penny Dreadful. Um, it's in their second season right now, and they only do, like, ten episodes. They air, like, May, probably, like, first or second week in May, and then they go for ten Sundays. Um, they're about an hour long, and uh, I absolutely love the episodes. It takes place in Victorian London, um, and it's kind of a mashup between Dorian Gray with Frankenstein and American Werewolf in London, and just kind of like demonology and like all these things just like thrown into one. And um, I definitely realized that I shouldn't watch that with the lights off <laughs> at night um, with the company of my dog. Um, he's not, I mean, I love him. He's cute, but he doesn't comfort that well. Um, <laughs> um, watched a couple episodes, so I'm now only like three episodes away from finishing the season. Um, just kind of 
watched a few episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia yeah. um, as well. So that's one of my favorite TV shows. Um, and then watched Django Unchained um, just recently, and obviously Inglorious Bastards as well. Um, Pulp Fiction was actually on last night at like 11.30, and I caught it like towards the very end, and I was like, you know what, I'll just finish watching it. Um, which is really ironic that all of those kind of fell together at one time <laughs> okay. in my life. Um, normally it doesn't happen that way. Um, aside from that, uh, I was told to watch The Last Unicorn, which is totally, like, random. Um, it was, I guess, released in, like, the 1980s, I believe. It's an anime um, film? No, it's... <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, it is an animated Oh, okay. It's not anime, though. Okay. Um, and apparently, uh, according to a friend of mine, it is what she grew up on. Um, so I'm like, all right. Um, so you're a little concerned about her now. <laughs> a, a little bit, yeah. Um, so I have to have to watch that one. But otherwise, um, I'm trying to think what other movies. Um, Birdman I watched recently as well. So what do you think? I absolutely loved it. All Yay! right. <laughs> we have four so. people on the podcast now that love Birdman. <laughs> the, the other host who's on here um, frequently, Kenny, mm-hmm. um, he actually thought Birdman was pretty good, but every time he's on the show, he just complains about it like it's the worst thing he's ever uh, seen. Yeah, he, he seems to like it less and less. Still gave it a three out of five. But yeah. as somebody who does like live theater, like, yeah. did you think that that whole part of it, like the behind the scenes, like with it was, was yeah, it was really well stunning, especially because I like the the cinematic effect of you know it never kind of it never really cuts, right. and you just keep going with it, which yep. is I mean kind of the real life of someone who's been in like live theater productions. Right. I mean, you just kind of go day to day, and I mean you have to just be in the moments essentially. And I say. Now, uh, since I don't really have that much experience with like acting in live theater yeah. or being in productions or whatever, so does Birdman, do you feel, give a, not obviously there are a lot of crazy things happening throughout yeah. the film, but in terms of the closeness amongst the uh, the actors, is that hold true or is it's that... It's totally true. Okay. Um, having been part of a theater company for about three years, um, definitely it's either you have... It's a it's a weird family um, kind of feeling. Um, it's kind of like I don't know if there's any like band kids, um, but it's like that incestuous family kind of thing that's going <laughs> yeah. on um, that you can't really get involved with anyone. But oh, you Bates know, Mortel. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. but that yeah. doesn't yeah. um, stop people, <laughs> right? It's a really like kind of weird balance, and I mean, you're you're spending so much time with these people. I mean, because if you have say, like, five rehearsals a week, you know, for, like, three, four hours at a time. Um, I mean, it gets... You, you see these people more than you see, like, your own parents or, like, yeah. your, like, household pet more often. Um, so, I mean, you definitely... Like, the closeness and everything um, is is really, really true. Um, I also found it really interesting that um, the the guy that is like kind of just doing a monologue on the street mm-hmm. um, about midway through the movie. Um, it's actually a Macbeth monologue, yep. um, which my like just completely blew like some of my friends' minds. I'm like, yeah, that's a Macbeth monologue. They're like, whoa, how do you, how do you know how this? How do you know things? <laughs> how do you know theater yeah. things? It's like, I, well, I love that too, because um, he's played out to be like this crazy homeless person. Yeah. yeah. And then after uh, Michael Keaton walks by, he's like, but, but no, what, like, was that okay? Was right, that good? Yeah. It's so, yeah. so it's, weird. It's cool because it, like, yeah, it even as like a theater person, you really realize like you start like taking on traits of like 
people and seeing like, oh, well, they took a breath right there. They shouldn't have paused in the middle of their <laughs> sentence, you know, or like things like that. It's, it's they're really weird things, but it's it's really cool, though. Right I gotta say, while I'm thinking about it, yeah. if anybody likes the theater aspect of Birdman, uh, one of my, I'm not exaggerating, like top five favorite TV shows of all time is a show called Slings and Arrows. Yeah. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. That is one of the greatest, that's probably my favorite depiction of like the theater and because yeah. I, did, I did it in like high school, but right. um, but yeah, as far as like the camaraderie and yet also dysfunction backstage and whatnot without the, well, no, actually there is mental illness in it, but but without the, I would say like crazy ambiguity of uh, a burned man. It's mm-hmm. a terrific show. There's actually a theater production. Um, it's a play that's called Noises Off. And it's actually, it's the first act is the dress rehearsal, like, night before it opens. Yes. It's a complete and total farce. It's yes. absolutely hysterical. And it's kind of like Birdman and Slings and Arrows, like, combined for the stage. It's I think brilliant. I saw a clip of that in my yeah. uh, theater class um, at, back at Aurora University. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very good. So thank you for sharing that, Sam. Uh, let's move on to Hassan. He always has great stuff to talk about in his Week in Review segment. Did you watch Predator? Yeah, did he talk to you again? Did he speak to you? <laughs> we, we need to do a Predator episode as soon as possible. To, to Even lift, if we do a Predator episode, curse that's not going to stop us from asking I was going to say, actually, Predator. it might actually oh make my, it worse for you. Oh, so. my God. Okay. Um, so this past week, I finished all four seasons of Spartacus. Hmm. Uh, At once? Uh, no, actually, yeah, in, in one one like four day stretch, he watched every season all the way up until the finale. <laughs> yeah, and then he watched all four finales in a row. That's how he finished all four seasons at once. <laughs> anyway, so I finished that, and that was really really good. Yeah. Um, Andy Whitfield, who originally played the role in like the first season, like he was really good, and like moving off to the, off of that, like to the second season, which is like a a prequel mm-hmm. that you know it's there simply because thankfully to, because. The prequel centered around the two most interesting characters of the first season. Gannicus and uh, Ona... Batiatis? Bat- no, Batiatis and uh, Gannicus, who is yeah. like the the god of the arena or whatever. Yeah. And obviously that season existed because Andy Whitfield was going through lymphoma at the time and he unfortunately passed. The the, the guy who took on the role afterwards is like, I don't like this guy. It's like, But he eventually grew on me. Liam McIntyre? Liam McIntyre, yeah. Yeah. So did you, like, the more you watched the series, did it kind of like fade as far as like... I, I was it was always present in my mind. I was just like, how would have how would Andy have acted in this scene? Because like they're totally two different temperaments. Whereas yeah. like I guess that was one good thing that I kind of appreciated from what I saw with yeah. it. They didn't try to find like an impersonator. No, mm-hmm. no. It's like he was Andy was a lot more stoic and stern. While this guy like he knew how to emote more, but it was still kind of like that weird like block emoting. Yeah. Um, and I also finished the first season of Dexter just today and I gotta tell you I'm a little uh, a little iffy on that yeah. I don't know how well, I feel that about won't this. change you're also a little jumpy too you yeah. were concerned when I pointed out that a woman had a bean bag and you're like I don't want to know what's in the bean bag it's oh, a real whoa. bean bag oh yeah that's when we were waiting outside yeah oh man that sounds totally like Tucson <laughs> yeah so I worry Dexter was okay oh. um <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have anything else to no? talk about. All right, let's move on then. All right, All right Nick. Um, I'm trying to think because quite a few of the things I watched, I already talked about because I rewatched the last five years, which was one of my favorite movies of this year. It's the Great Musical. 
Um, but I did rewatch Coherence this weekend. Of course you did. That's twice. What, what, what's that, 17 and 18 for you? Nope. It's uh, the 8th and ninth time, because Letterboxd tells me how many times I watch a movie now. Um, but uh, that I will never get bored of. I love that movie, and that is the perfect movie for rewatching for me, at least, because it is just... I genuinely, and I'm not... Like, I sometimes say this just to, like, you know, like, push a movie, but, like, I legitimately actually do notice new things every single time I watch it. And if anybody hasn't seen it, it's a little sci-fi indie film about a group of eight people getting together for a dinner party while there was a comet passing that night, and shit goes weird. And to say more would pretty much spoil it. And I don't even really believe in spoilers. Like, I'm, like, the person that looks up a movie, like, before I see it, like, ending and everything, because I just don't care. And not only that, but, like, yeah. I, uh, I, I'm under the assumption that, like, a movie still has to work, even if, like, you know the ending and whatnot. Uh, but this is actually a film I recommend that everybody watch and don't read anything about. So I cannot further recommend it enough. Um, I did actually, though, finish uh, season one of BoJack Horseman because oh. season two just dropped on Netflix and that was amazing. Like I was a little iffy on it in the first four or five episodes but once you get to the, like, the halfway point it's it really actually starts like it has more depth and it's an animated show uh yeah. It has more depth uh, than most like live action shows on the air these days. It's it, crazy. It really is like the, there's an episode where he visits his uh, old friend that he kind of screwed over, who's dying of cancer, and he's like seeking out forgiveness, and that doesn't end the way he thought it would. You know, like it, it's just so dark and depressing, and in a good way though, because it's also kind of trying to find the empathy behind like all of these characters. Because Bojack himself is a person who like nobody hates him more than he hates himself, and because he is a big asshole, but yet. But at the end of the day, like, he also deserves to at least try to find some solace and whatnot, and uh, it's it's just really, really good. So hmm. if anybody hasn't seen it, or if anybody started it, keep going to at least you get to about episode six and seven, and that's when it'll actually take off and start to pay off everything that's been setting up. Uh, but that's uh, the only thing I... Uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, I know a movie that uh, actually... Me, you, and Toussaint watched was a movie called Slow West. Forgot about that. Yes, <laughs> um, and we watched that. And uh, if anyone doesn't know anything about it, it was uh, the other big film from Sundance, along with uh, Me and Earl and Dying Girl. Did not mm-hmm. get the kind of press that the uh, the the other film did. And uh, we watched that, and um, I think I liked it a lot. I would say a lot more, but quite a bit more than you guys did. Uh, it was a very interesting kind of weird paced film but with some excellent cinematography beautiful landscape shots i agree with that but it was a complete waste of ben mendelsohn well yeah there was not a lot of ben mendelsohn in it so i know you were not a fan oh no because if ben mendelsohn is in your movie or tv show he should be front and center (laughs) and he should be in every scene because he's the greatest (laughs) thing that ever happened oh Okay. Yeah, I'm only partially joking. Yeah, Nick is actually like a very big Ben Mendelsohn fan. So he's great. He's a great supporting character. Mm -hmm. I don't know about leading actor yet. We'll see. Yeah, but in here he was a supporting character, and they still didn't give him shit. Yeah, (laughs) they forced a lot of fast. You have Ben Mendelsohn in a western wearing a pimp coat. Uh, That coat is so awesome. (laughs) Drugging people. We need more of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, This film has a great. Uh, I'll say a great final uh, climactic scene, which 
if if anyone like doesn't like the kind of final scene that they have, then they do not like gangster slash western films, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. At I all. was not a fan of this film in general, but I have to admit that the, the last ten minutes completely revitalized the the archetype of a classic western shootout in a way that I had never seen before and mm-hmm. and quite enjoyed. So yeah, and it it had kind of a it was weird because it felt a little Tarantino e at some points, but it also felt quite original. I thought in other yeah. points that too. So. If if you are into that kind of thing, if you're into the gangster westerny kind of films, and if you like Michael Fassbender, because I think he gives a decent performance here, and then, if you like really short films, yeah, it's only an hour and twenty four minutes or yeah. something like that. Give uh, give Slow West a chance, I would say. Uh, the other movie, or not movie, but the other uh, thing I wanted to talk about is I uh, finally caught up with uh, True Detective. I watched episode six yesterday. And that just is not a good season of television. It's not good. Vince Vaughn is so bad. I think so I asked bad. you, but is episode six the one with the orgy? It is. <laughs> oh, wow. They couldn't even say it after that? Damn. Yeah, it, it was... the That whole scene, actually, I actually thought the the way it was done was, was really done really well and not because it's an orgy scene but just because right and uh, like the with your experiences with orgies thank you you could, you could thank like you draw on, on real life thank you details. very much for this wow i'm just kidding you only uh. went to one it's not like <laughs> anyways i told you that in confidence um you were drunk <laughs> it doesn't count I, I actually thought this was one of the better episodes of the season and um but as, as a whole, the season has really struggled. The character development has been very poor. And it's just been hard because, as I mentioned to you, Nick, before we started this episode, anthology series, I feel like, are starting to become more and more popular these days. And I feel like True Detective is showing the dark side of what an anthology series could be, where you have eight episodes and you need to do a whole arc of the of an entire series, basically, in eight episodes. And I think it worked pretty well in the first season, because they had two characters and they really focused the entire season on them where they have four main characters in this season and they are just skipping over major character developments in, in lieu of really storylines that are just a waste of everyone's time. So it's the kind of thing where you really have to do like you, you have to catch lightning in a bottle because if you don't, then it's just a waste of time. Well, and, and you know, it, it also may be too that the, uh, the, the writing is just not been that great, which uh, maybe it's because he's not plagiarizing this season. That very good, well could be. Would you say that Pizzolatto, like that's his name, like his last name, right? Yeah. yeah. Like he's kind of like been exposed for being a flash in the pan for like the first season then? I suppose. I, I think I will be willing to at least give him a little bit of a pass because I feel like HBO sort of forced this season to get made. Uh, you know, they finished the, se- the, the first season not even a year ago, and yeah. they had not written any content for a second season. Yeah, it they took not... him forever to like start writing the scripts. Well, and it it just it really shows to me at least. It shows like this was rushed and forced. Never do anything out of hunger. Yeah, not, not even eat. <laughs> yeah, what? That, that's an <laughs> what actual. That, that's that an actual line? line from True Detective. No, it really happened from the scene too. Oh my god! Wow. It's from wow. the first episode, like four minutes in. That's dumb. Oh man, that's, that's disappointing. And delivered by Vince Vaughn <laughs> of all yeah. people. He's not that good. Taylor Kitsch is the only character I think he's you know, done a really good job. And I said, really, I have not heard that from anybody. I, I, well, I, I guess I mean I love Taylor Kitsch and Friday Night Lights, uh, but. 
the reason why he was so good in that was because he wasn't like called to act. He, it was such a naturalistic show that he already fit that Texas, you know, like archetype of just like a slacker going nowhere. So that like, well, I like his character the most on this okay. season, and if I'm alone on that, that is yeah. fine. But everyone else on the season, I just can't get into. Maybe just because his character is a little bit different, where the rest yeah. of them are just plain stereotypes of what you've heard before a million times. That. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's not great, and I'm going to watch the last two episodes because I've already invested my time in right. the first six. So <laughs> gotta go through. N- Nick is weird because he will like go through like 17 episodes of a 21 episode run, and if he's getting tired of it, he'll just stop. And I just don't know how that's yeah, possible. I watch that shit, man. I watch a lot of TV, and yeah. I because I want to keep watching more. I'm not just going to keep watching something that I have no faith in. And hmm. so yeah, like I only watched six out of eight of the first season of True Detective. That's what that lost me. Uh, but no, like I, I, I'm watching way too much shit. So if I finished everything that I watched that I didn't like, I would never actually get to watch the thing that I actually like. Hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Just uh, saying. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. Thank you guys for uh, bringing that uh, to the table. And you are now, so welcome. Oh, well, I was, I was talking to everybody, not just you. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just thought you were looking right at me. No. So yeah, today we are, as I mentioned, going to be talking about uh, Quentin Tarantino's I almost said Django Unchained. Here we talk about. <laughs> we can. Yeah. Oh, hey, like, I saw it eight times in the theater. God, that's Man. that's too many. That's a long film, too. <laughs> yeah, right. It yeah. was, Man. but I, you know what? That's just how much I loved it. Well, I think we'll probably talk about that another time down the road. Mm-hmm. Down the road, a piece on this uh, on this podcast. But today we're talking about Inglorious Bastards. My name is Lieutenant Aldo Ray, and I need me eight soldiers. We're going to be dropped into France, dressed as civilians. We're going to be doing one thing, one thing only. Killing Nazis. Yes, sir! Members of the National Socialist Party conquered Europe through murder, torture, intimidation, and terror. And that's exactly what we're going to do to them. We will be cruel to the German. And through our cruelty, they will know who we are. They will find the evidence of our cruelty. In the disemboweled, dismembered, and disfigured bodies their brothers we leave behind us. And the German will not be able to help themselves from imagining the cruelty their brothers endured at our hands. And our boot heels. And the edge of our knives. And the German will be sickened by us. And the German will talk about us. And the German will fear us. Nazi ain't got no humanity. They need to be destroyed. Each and every man under my command owes me 100 Nazi scalps. And I want my scalps. Sound good? Yes, sir! The main uh, plot of the film is Nazi-occupied France during World War II. There is a plan to assassinate Nazi leaders by a group of Jewish Jewish U.S. soldiers. Uh, And this coincides with a theater's owner's vengeful plan of the same. Uh, The film, uh, as I mentioned, is uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino, also written, as his films usually are, by himself. Quentin Tarantino stars Brad Pitt. Also, Diane Kruger, Eli Roth... Christoph Waltz, uh, Melanie Laurent, Michael Fassbender, Danielle Brühl, and a whole lot of other people, too. Um, Mike Myers makes an appearance. Yeah, including mm-hmm. Mike Myers yeah. for some reason. Which is crazy. Right? And uh, BJ Novak also yeah. uh, from The Office is in this. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of uh, characters and a lot of um, 
actors and actresses who honestly this is really like a big film in their careers you know fassbender wasn't having nearly the kind of success that he had post this film christoph waltz won an oscar and yeah uh, also melanie laurent no one had really heard of her Mm -hmm. and she's been in pretty major films here recently so uh, a lot of uh, a lot of big names and uh, it's a quentin tarantino film so as per usual, a lot of people went to see it and uh, have thoughts about it. And I guess I will start. I don't usually start, but but I will this time. Um, I saw this when it came out in 2009 in the theater, and th- this was Tarantino's return to greatness for me. I I had kind of fallen off the wagon on Tarantino a little bit. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the Kill Bill films. What? Um, <laughs> And, you know, his his recent work before, prior to this, I just was not gravitating to. And I saw this film and I absolutely loved it the first time and every time since then. Um, uh, this is totally a Tarantino style, which involves multiple different storylines happening and they all converge on each other at, you know, a, a certain time in the film. And so many great character performances throughout the film and also just fantastic writing throughout it. Uh, there is that one scene uh, in the bar which gets a little tough to make it all the way through. And I must confess, I have skipped past it quite a few times when That's I've watched the, the film. It is. And yeah. I know it's Tarantino like saying, do you want to get to that part where we have that 12 seconds of big violence? You're going to fucking sit through this shit. So. <laughs> but um, I, I, overall, I just feel like this film is just littered with great performances. Brad Pitt, I actually think, does a really great job as Aldo Rain. Obviously, mm-hmm. Christoph Waltz was the... the scene stealer from this film he was terrific and also Eli Roth I feel like is a a forgotten guy from this film because I love him and I wish he acted more and it's not because he's a great actor but the facial expressions he is able to to give I just for some reason I just love it every minute of it and um, I'd love to see him in more in more acting roles do you know who was originally slated for that role I do not Adam Sandler I'm so glad really? that did yeah. not happen. Wow. Yeah. Adam Sandler is the oh bear Jew, but like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. here comes the bear Jew. I'm going to dress up as a woman now. Yeah. We make jokes, Fuck that guy. but one thing I will say, and despite the fact that, yes, he's everything that's wrong with Hollywood currently. <laughs> he really is. But, especially at least a few years ago or whatever, like when he works with the right director, they can actually get good performances out of him. And I'm talking about Paul Thomas Anderson casting him in uh, Punch Drunk Love, which mm-hmm. He's fantastic, and, and not only that, but that's using his whole man-child persona for dramatic effect. Right. And I feel like—I mean, I'm sorry, but like the Bear Jew. I mean, that is a very yeah broad performance. I'm, now, sure been I'm not okay. saying I don't want him in there, but yeah. I will say like this is—he would <laughs> Quentin Tarantino would not have been casting the uh, you know the creator of Pixels or anything. He, <laughs> I think, is a little more uh, at least back then, especially because he had just done Funny People. I want to say, and yeah, he had done so, Rain Over Me not too yeah, too so. long before. I, I'll say this much: I'd be interested. I haven't seen like a screen test of him doing that because yeah. I just want to see what he would do with he it. He actually turned down a glorious passage in order to do funny people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which wow. I actually kind of makes sense only yeah. because of the fact that like Judd Apatow, they were like college roommates. So mm-hmm. of course I'm sure there's a lot more personal things attachment to it but yeah uh, but yeah but yeah in glorious bastards for me there's a lot of great funny scenes in the film and a lot of uh things that just make me laugh every time and also make me just happy to be a, a person who was able to watch film um one of my favorite scenes in the whole film is uh, early on actually it's the first scene of the film when they're at uh the, the french uh, farm the french dairy farm 
and they have that whole long conversational scene between Christoph Waltz and I forget the actor's name, but so do I. Yeah, uh, and they switch back between <laughs> French <laughs> and right. English, and yeah. uh, they're having that kind of very very awkward conversation, which is you know just just I'm just eating up every minute of it, and I I just love the way the build up towards when the the, the you know the soldiers come in with the machine guns firing into the floorboards. The, the just the the look of the wood exploding and then the sawdust and the music that was chosen by Tarantino for that uh, scene, it just feels so old timey Hollywood, but also new. And it just, yeah. oh man, it's great. And that also has my favorite line of the entire film when Shoshana is running away and um, Christoph Waltz is sitting there with his gum and he just says Au revoir, Shoshana. Yeah, yeah it's such a dick, but it's great. It just <laughs> you, works. You just said old timey Hollywood, and this is like one of those films that I think would be like, like if, if you know people ever ask you like what what film would you want to show like a older audience? You know, like if you could ch- ch- chime travel back to like the nineteen fifties or sixties or whatever. Like this would be one of those films that I would love to like just be like, oh, okay, let's just put this in the projector and just see like people from like nineteen sixties like lose their shit because it is like quite classical in a sense as far as like the the aesthetics and whatnot. But then. All of a sudden, like Tarantino just bulldozes through all of yeah. that and just. But gives, that's what I love about yeah. it. It's one of the things that I think is just great about yeah. this film is it really does ode to uh, you know a different time, yeah. but it also includes all of his Tarantino isms. Great. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to uh, Sam and you see what her feelings yeah. are on Inglorious Bastards. I do agree. Um, it is definitely one of my. It was kind of that bringing you back into Tarantino films and everything. Nice. Because um, I I. I'm a big fan of Pulp Fiction and everything, and because that's to me a classic, and mm-hmm. um, and really kind of was disappointed that there weren't like really any standout Tarantino films until I saw this one, and um, I know I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it fairly recently um, after it came out, mm-hmm. you know, on DVD and things like that, and um, um, I absolutely adore Christoph Waltz. Um, Anything and everything that he's been in, I mean, he does a superb job as an actor and, and a performer. Um, he's a he's a Jew hunter, and he's so charming <laughs> through the whole film. Hans Look, Landa. Really? He just loves um, milk, and he loves uh, strudel, and wait for the yes, cream. Yes. <laughs> like, holy shit. And an obnoxiously huge pipe, too, that he yes. pulls out. Yeah. <laughs> I just, that, yeah. Because I'd actually, I'd seen... Um, it's kind of like an indie film. It's based off of a, a play um, called God of Carnage. Yes. Um, That's one yep. of my favorite films. And it's it's one that not a lot of people know about. And um, I had originally seen him in that, aside from like other films. And I think that was kind of the one that like catapulted me into like really following him and whatever he did. And, um, and then realizing that, oh, hey, he's in Inglorious Bastards. I love it. Let's do this. Um, but aside from that, I mean, Brad Pitt does a an absolutely wonderful job of being that like really like dumb American essentially <laughs> um, and kind of like mispronouncing things and everything. Italian. Um, yeah. Don here speaks most Italian. <laughs> um, but aside from those, um, I mean, I love that in the Tarantino just world of it, there's a lot of like great emphasis on pause in this movie and not so much like musical score, which kind of, um, was really surprising to me considering like especially like with Django Unchained how there's a lot of music yeah. to underscore like certain scenes and moments and that I mean there's still music in it but I mean there's definitely those very pregnant pauses and you really get that feel of like this is really uncomfortable and really <laughs> awkward 
but I like it. Yeah. Um, I also really like that they switch between the languages a lot, too. Yeah. Um, which I have, like, pros and cons with, because it's cool that there's, like, foreign language films, and I love watching them and everything, but it's always so difficult, like, if I don't know the language, you're busy watching the subtitles instead of, like, actually watching the action, and, but... Um, and probably the one the one thing that I have against this film, and it's like the smallest little thing. Um, at one point, there's a conversation in German that occurs, and there's no subtitles whatsoever. And you you know what's happening, and you just kind of sit there, and you're like, I don't know what they're saying. I bet you know, I I still don't know what they're saying. <laughs> I don't even, you know. Um, apparently, in closed captioning, yeah. um, Toussaint said it's that there's brackets <laughs> German. <laughs> Literally no translations. Yeah. Um, I think that's like one of the like minor faults that I have with it. Um, aside from maybe like one or two like nitpicky things or that like you know oh wasn't he like already over there like by the time it cut there. Um, but aside from that, I mean, I absolutely love the the overlapping plots and everything and. Um, it's really fascinating, too, to see how some of the characters really transform a little bit. Um, and I, I'm also a huge fan of that time period of, like, World War II, you know, Nazi-occupied Europe at the time. And um, so it's really fascinating to see, like, some of the the, the history really come alive in it. And um, I think he did a beautiful job with the colors, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, stunning just to see, like, the different, like, bold colors that really come into play. And like like you'd even mentioned with, like, the old-timey kind of classic look versus, like, the more modern. And um, I love some of the camera angles. Um, one of my favorite scenes is um, actually when they've taken Diane Kruger um, to the animal hospital. <laughs> um, and they're trying to get the, the bullet out of her leg and everything. Um, and initially when they break into that scene, the camera's slightly tilted. Um so it's not like a full-on view, but it's like a wide enough pan that everyone fits in. And you're kind of like, man, that's a really pretty shot. And, like, the colors are just right and everything. And then, like, you realize that, like, this woman's, like, bleeding on a table. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> you're like, well. Um, but, I mean, otherwise, I, I absolutely adore the film and um, definitely got me back into realizing that, you know, hey – Tarantino's not dead. It's all right. We'll we'll keep going with this. I like it. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's done it. And, and you talk about the uh, cinematography in the film. This is Robert Richardson again, I believe. Right? And he's pretty much been with Tarantino for quite a while now. Exclusive. It's, well, not not exclusively, but Tarantino has exclusively worked with him. I it, think mm-hmm. for quite a while now. Speed of cinematography. It says a lot that if anybody doesn't know who's listening, uh, but you guys, almost all of you at least, should know. Like, I don't eat sweets. You know, like, I don't like anything that's sweet, like cake, candy, like, all that just, it's just disgusting to me. But the scene when Kristoff uh, Waltz is eating yeah, the whatever, like, the, the cream, way he captured the that, like, I was actually watching that go, like, wow, I want to, like, put my face in that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just, like, just the way he captured that just yeah. looks so good. Yeah. So, yeah, he made a he made a. And then he puts a, his cigarette out, and you're like, "Oh, yeah. what do you yeah. do that?" Yeah. I was like, "Okay, now we're back to like, no, that's gross." <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad because he's like, "Oh, the strudel here is the best, mm. and like, it's so great, but you have to wait for the cream." And then all of a sudden, he only eats half of it, and then sticks a cigarette in it. It's like, "Come on!" I thought you said it was the best strudel. What Why didn't you do? finish it's it? Yeah. Easily the worst crime he commits in that movie. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, Tucson, uh, what are your feelings on uh, *Inglorious Bastards*? I haven't seen this film. Oh, um, really? I I, I, like, I haven't okay. I haven't seen this film in a while. I haven't seen this film in a while, and so I just recently uh, rewatched it yesterday. And 
Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I think that Brad Pitt is probably like one of my favorite parts of this film, just like Lieutenant Aldo Rain. When, um, after the, the shootout and, and in the underground uh, bar. bar, and he's doing like the whole standoff thing with like the dad or whatever, it's like, this is the most comical Looney Tunes bullshit ever. And I'm just like, that's a Mexican standoff. Like, we got grenades up there. You got a gun right there. It's like, can't do this anymore. I can't trust you. I can't trust you. Now that's a fucking Mexican standoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, I, I have to say that my two, my other two favorite characters are Hugo Stiglitz. Yeah. Yes. Because every time that, like, from the first moment he comes on, it's like his <laughs> his name just like comes up. It's like, it's just like this over the top. Like, <laughs> and Samuel L. Jackson is doing narration for yeah. some reason. Yeah, yeah. J- just for that one thing. Um, no, actually, actually for the for the for the nitrate film as well. Um, and he just like kills like thirteen Nazi commanders or whatever. He just like gets broken out. And what about the the one killing he does where he just sticks his whole fist in his mouth? Yeah, I yeah. know. It's like, are you gonna take his tongue out, dude? I was like, yeah. I was like, every time like he's having like his this whole like I, I don't even know what it what it is like his tunnel vision moment like when he's mm-hmm. like sitting at the bar and he's thinking about like getting lashed in the back and then the guy's like, hey, he's like, you got to look at card and like write something down. I was like. Man, he's gonna murder some people. I was really sad when he when his character uh, passed, but right. I guess he is second only to Eli Roth's uh, Donnie Donowitz, yes. the Bear Jew. Yes. Like I'm not a Nazi, and I'm terrified of the Bear Jew. That's a that's a terrifying name. And it's like. Um, when, you when, heard it here first. Tucson is not a Nazi. <laughs> not a Nazi, <laughs> but I'm terrified of the Bear Jew. Um, when when Aldo Rain was was. Uh, talking to one guy in Donnie's first scene is like, "Yep, yeah, I'm really actually glad that you 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 decided not to not to incline us because like watching Donnie beat the shit out of Nazis is the closest that we'll ever get to the movies." And I was like, "Hey, Donnie!" And he's just like, "What?" And he comes out and he's just like having like this really thick fake like Brooklyn accent. Teddy fucking ball game. Yeah, it's like he's just he's just saying words like yeah. like, like I don't I don't know it, it it's it's incredible. I I I love the setting for this film. I love. Um, all, all all of the the. How can I? Damn it! I just lost my train of thought. Okay, Aww. we'll find it. Choo choo. Yeah. <laughs> I I love Goebbels. You I said lo- you love the setting. I love the setting, and I love something about that that you were going to say. It's like I love the colors in this film. I love the the setting of the cinema. Is like it's a very beautiful mm-hmm. cinema. Um, and roping that into that, I like the character of Goebbels, like the guy who plays him, because when he, when uh, Susanna like has to go to the, uh, the cafe in order to like see what the hell um, is going on with her cinema. Yeah. And it just like breaks to his like, like French interpreter. And then it breaks to like him like, having sex with her. And he has like this, <laughs> yeah, and making this, those weird, this, 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 this bleeding horse neighing, like, yes. like, Oh my God, it was just so fucked up. But um, I thought that was, wait, that, people don't do that. I hope not. That's not. No, don't. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, there there are a lot of like little little bits and pieces of this film that I really enjoyed, and um, yeah, I don't think it's it's far from my favorite Tarantino film. I think that it's a little too much. There's a little too much dialogue, and I know that Tarantino's films are usually like very dialogue heavy, but this one, like like I said, like you said before, like in in the um, the tavern scene, who like, said. Like you said, Alex. Oh, Sorry. Okay. Thank you. This is podcast. Sorry. They can't see us pointing at each other. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Like in the in the tavern scene, that that's pretty much the hill of the movie. Yeah. Like you either get past that or you just like yeah. turn it off and never come back to it again. So, yeah. 
All right, Nick. So uh, I, I think you're going to be the most opinionated out of a Not that we don't have opinions, but I know you have uh, some things you do not like about this film. So uh, let's hear your feelings on it. Well, <laughs> I, uh, no, in general, I do like this movie quite a bit. I, I don't think I dislike a single Tarantino film. Like uh, you guys, both uh, Sam and Alex, were talking about kind of like uh, you kind of fell on, out of love with Tarantino in a way, mm-hmm. which I, I totally understand. But I'm actually of the mind that he, like, I would say I, I love those films even more than this one. Okay. Uh, specifically uh, Jackie Brown, which I think is one of his best films ever. Mm. And uh, But... The problem with this film is this might be the most Tarantino-esque film, for better and worse, because you guys are all right as far as it's got a lot of, like, uh, it's got great writing and it's got a lot of dialogue scenes, but I also feel like this is the film where it gets away from him in certain respects. I mean, when when Alto Rain is uh, carving the swastika, you know, in the... uh, and uh, Londa, um, at the very end, yeah, at the very end, and he says the line, "This might just be my masterpiece." Well, you think that was him winking at the audience? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that, like, I think it's kind of like on the one hand, it's just a cheeky joke, and yet on the other hand, I actually, I legitimately think that that's what's slightly wrong with this movie is that he was a little too pleased with himself, with self-indulgent. Some of these, yeah, with some of these scenes, and uh, you mentioned Alex earlier the. Um, the beginning scene, the one with mm-hmm. uh, you know Londa coming to the French house, that is my favorite scene of the entire movie. Like I, yeah, with uh, Leah Sedu, who's actually gotten yes, somewhat popular. She shows up I in that did, scene. I did not realize that was her, but now I'm starting to put that together. Mm. But yeah, during that whole scene, um, that actually like that is like maybe the best like stretch of like 20 minutes Tarantino's ever committed to celluloid like it's just so well done as far as acting cinematography and the music I mean when he takes the that weird kind of like I don't know like guitar mashup with for release like it's mm-hmm. just like, it's, it's very yeah. interesting even like, even the camera work inside yeah. of the the kitchen area that they're yep. in is just wonderful yeah, yeah and like it, eventually like we, we get like a weird bird's eye view inside the house itself and like I'm not entirely sure how he did that and yet and I'm not even sure why he did it but that's also making me conscious of it and whatnot. Um, but I, I absolutely love everything about that first 20 minutes. Everything after that, I do enjoy. Like, I, there's so many great lines in this. Um, but I don't know, for me, that this adds up to a, a whole in which I feel satisfied by. Because, for me, this is one of the few times where he does his whole, like, disparate storylines, like you said, converging and I feel like you, all of them kind of don't work together as peacefully as I want it to. Uh, I'm actually going to say something that I think I'm the only person in the world that thinks this, but I'm not a fan of the bastard storyline. Like, okay. as far as when you when you stack it up against the the rest of the movie, like it's like if I'm watching the scene, I am enjoying it, but I also like every time we cut to it, I wish we were watching the other and. I just can't get past this feeling of like he. I just feel like this might be his worst pace film. I, I will say this about the the bastard storyline is I feel like the marketing of this film and the way this film was, you know, 
presented to people. This you is going to be about the Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, it's you really th- not. You would have thought that no. that's what this was like. The only thing in this and the, movie. They are They're a very small portion. Yeah. When yeah. you actually like look at the film and its oh, entirety, yeah. it's, it's a small portion, but it's also a portion that keeps like interrupting the film. Right. In the sense that like when it comes, it like stays there, and then it's like, oh, okay, now we have to wait like twenty more minutes before we get back to the whatever. Well, technically, the bar scene is involving the bastards, but it really right. isn't though. Yeah. It's more involving Michael Fassbender's character, who's a part of Operation like the, Kino, which doesn't really get that involved. Right. In exactly, the like the yeah. whole Diane Kruger scene. Like, like I like her character, or whatever, but mm-hmm. we had not actually seen her before then, and yeah. so it's kind of like like you were talking to Son about how that's like the hill to get over. Yeah, I don't even think it's a hill because of how long it goes on. Mm-hmm. I think it's a hill because of the fact that it's it's these characters that he decided to stop the film in his tracks. Like if it was a scene with, um, uh, with Melanie Laurent's character and maybe her, uh, her worker slash lover. Kind of? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, like and where they were just talking for 20 minutes, I'd probably be into that because I would, f- would feel like we were developing the characters that I, I want to know more about. Um, but Fassbender had just been introduced. Right. Exactly. Like yeah. the, was, the Mike Myers scene. Yeah. I was, mm-hmm. I was actually quite, uh, not confused, but because it's the first time I rewatched it, in maybe a couple of years or so. So, yeah, I was the minute they uh, cut to the bar scene, I was like, "Oh wow, that's happening already!" Because I thought, yeah. So I thought there was a lot more in between then, but there there are just a few things in here that just don't quite work for me the way I wish they do, and yet. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't say much because I genuinely l- pretty much really like or love, like, all Tarantino films. He is a extremely gifted uh, filmmaker. I think on a technical level, this is his best film as far as, like, how he shot it and how he scored it and or didn't. And, like, the acting uh, through and through is just phenomenal. But this might be my least favorite story of his. Yeah, and I feel, I feel like, and not that it's the exact same, but I feel like this is almost the same conversation we had a couple weeks ago with you talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will yeah. Be Blood, how you thought that was a technical achievement, and you really do like the film, yes. but there were things you have that you weren't mm-hmm. crazy about about yeah. the film. And the only thing I would say about that is that the reason why I made like like that film, like if I start it, I'll finish it, whatever. This one I actually watched in two sittings. I watched it okay. like the first hour and 15 minutes last night, and then I watched the second half uh, this morning or whatever. <laughs> and that's because like... In, in, in Nick terms, by the way, this morning means at 2 p.m. That's so. right. I was just saying, I don't wake up until like at least 1 or something. <laughs> but when I um, but when I watched this, like, it, it says a lot... Okay, actually, one thing I do want to bring up before I pass it off to everybody else, but um, this bears a lot of similarities, I think, at least, to Django Unchained. And yeah. not simply because it's the same director, but it has this revisionist history tone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason why Django Unchained is one of my all-time favorite movies, same. and I love it, and I can't, like, I can watch that two-hour and 45-minute movie eight times in the theater and not get bored, <laughs> is because we're following one character throughout the entire course of the movie, and therefore we actually get to... Now, we follow a few other characters, of course, but it is Django's story through and through, and all the other characters pretty much are there to serve him. And even like in that movie, when Tarantino goes off the deep end and starts monologuing, like um, uh, Calvin Candy's dinner party that goes horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And- but that's yeah. never even like when when that scene started in Django Unchained. As soon as he pulled the skull out, I'm like, uh oh. Yeah. Here yep. we go. There's going to be a 20 minute conversation right here. Phrenology. But it, it, does, 
it really didn't end up being that at all. Well, yeah. as far as like when they sat down to dinner and they're like yeah, trying that, to get that is a lengthy. But scene. But the thing about that scene moving. compared to like the bar scene in this movie is that I feel like I'm still learning more about the characters in that scene, like that whole phrenology of like Calvin Candy, like mm. yeah. it, that actually is like like it's, it's one of the most fucked up scenes in all of like cinema because yeah. Yeah. it's weird as far as like how much it lets I wouldn't say lets Candy off the hook, but also doesn't try to make it like. Uh, just as simple as like he's a slaver and nothing else or whatever. Like it's just like his upbringing. Or he's whatever. looking for a scientific ref. I never exactly, yeah. and I never got that from this movie. Where I feel like because like not that I want them to humanize Nazis or anything like yeah. that, <laughs> but I feel like this was Tarantino leaning too heavily on the real world context and thinking that he didn't have to develop the characters because of that. Like of course, like like if somebody brought the script to him and said, "Well, should we add a little more?" Like, well, no, everybody knows who the Nazis were. We don't need to talk about it and so like that's why i feel like by the end of the by the end of the running time by the time i'm done watching this movie i feel like i've watched a cinematic equivalent of a cheap joke it's, mm. it's a joke that makes me laugh and i enjoyed hearing it but i don't know that i got a lot from it other than the individual scenes which i do agree have like fantastic performances and uh great you know like cinematography and all that but as a movie, I feel like uh, I saw him, Tarantino, in an interview one time talk about Django Unchained and when the Mandingo fighting scene, and somebody asked him about that, and he basically, completely genuine, said that, like, oh, that scene, because, of course, the interviewer was like, that was a really harsh scene, you know, I mean, there's the hammer comes out and everything, and he's like, oh, well, I, I mean, I thought that was just hilarious, and I think that's Inglorious <laughs> Bastards in a nutshell, like, he's <laughs> he's telling a joke that he thinks is funny, and... I would say, fortunately, it translates to a pretty riveting cinematic story, but I also feel like he's finding this movie more fun than I am. So uh, I'll pass it off to you guys, and then I'll come back well, in. Well, Inglorious but... Bastards feels a lot more like all of most other Tarantino films, where I feel like Django is a much more straightforward film yeah. than yeah. most yeah. Tarantino films. But, I mean, if you if you look, I mean, not all of them. I mean, like Jackie Brown, that was from the 90s, and while that has supporting characters, that is like just like Django, it's named after the... Uh, but, but we do spend a lot more time just with the supporting characters in different scenes and with the title character. I would agree, film. but I would say only in the same way that we spend a lot of time with like Calvin Candy or with some some of the villains of the film, so to speak. Okay, I'll, I'll still disagree yeah. a little bit on that one, but yeah, I feel like Inglorious Bastards uh, for me interweaves all of these stories pretty well. Yeah, and I, I actually think it does even for me. And I love Pulp Fiction; it's my second favorite film of all time. I actually yeah. think this does a better <laughs> job than Pulp Fiction does because I feel like Pulp Fiction is great because it keeps a lot of the stories separate, other than the couple mm-hmm. points when they meet. But this film, Inglorious Bastards, I feel like does a really nice job of bringing the stories together and really kind of building them together because they don't just throw them together, which yeah. a lot of films do, where they put storylines and oh look, they ended up being together. Like um, uh, what's that Guy Ritchie movie, Snatch, where like uh, yeah. the stories converge on each other like really quickly, and you're just like oh, it's funny because he hit that guy from the other storyline and with a car. That's but, guy, that's guy Ritchie for you. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's not the greatest director. But in this film, I feel like it genuinely builds up characters into other scenes. Like when we see uh, Christoph Waltz's Hans Landa, Hans Landa, pardon me, uh, he, he kind of finally having his moment where he meets up with Diane Kruger yeah. and the Bastards. And it feels like that was building towards that. And we feel like Melanie Laurent's character was building towards her final meeting with Zoller and, and that kind of thing. 
I just feel like the interweaving in this film is done so well, and I, I feel like that's a huge credit to Tarantino's writing again. I I can understand that. Yeah. I I don't know that I get that same feeling when I watch it because okay. I, I still think that these stories are too far separate when they're first happening, especially I, I'll go back to the bastard storyline. Like um, I don't think that they serve any purpose other than like, like you, what you were talking about earlier, but like a great way to market it toward people because you could not, I don't think Tarantino, it's in the title. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't think if Tarantino solely uh, like made a movie about a, like a Jewish woman in, uh, hiding in plain sight in a French city, which is really the it, main story. Right. Of this film, right. But if, you, if that's the story he had written, I don't think uh, like, you know, uh, whoever picked it up, Miramax or something. Um, at least at that time, right. I feel like he could get away with that now. No, now he could, but because this was his research and he could not have gotten away with it back then. Um, but that's the other thing I was really quickly going to mention is that even, Shoshana's or uh, what's whatever her other name is. Uh, yeah, Shoshana's her yeah, name. Shoshana. Emanuela. Uh, yeah. yeah, like even her storyline, I've kind of I've seen it before in films that came before. Whether it's Paul Verhoeven, <laughs> uh, I know I bring him up every time, every but, week. Man. But this is an actual legitimate comparison. Okay. Uh, but his to- 2006 uh, Dutch film Black Book is about a Jewish woman who uh, is in a very sensitive position while she is hiding in plain sight to German soldiers, and mm. um, or even the the last Met which is a Francois uh, Truffaut film uh, about a man and a wife uh, who run a French theater, and the wife is, I think, I believe, is hiding the her husband, who is a Jewish person, from German-occupied soldiers and whatnot. So it's just kind of like, I don't think, once again, that I... I got enough out of the because we kept cutting to the bastards or to the Michael Fassbender storyline that I don't think I got enough uh, from her storyline to make it. Uh, I would say fully satisfying. I don't know. I just there's something about this that keeps me at a distance. I can't really put my finger on it. What about you guys, uh, Sam and Tucson? Yeah, we we and Nick have been chiming in here <laughs> probably too much. So what what do you guys feel more elaborating on what we were talking about when we first gave our overall opinions on this film? I put you on the spot, didn't I? I know, yeah. I know. On a podcast, this oh, is God really rough. Tag, uh, you're it. Oh, God, <laughs> um, let, let me ask you this, and this is for everybody, really. You, this is where you usually ask questions. Well, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess I'll go back to that. Yeah. Um, what do you guys feel, and this is a Tarantino movie, so it's meant to be a little bit fun in some points, mm-hmm. but how do you feel about... Um, the let's call them historical inaccuracies in this film <laughs> and are are you for the most part just like fine with it because it's a tarantino movie and whatever or I, i've never really heard anybody who is like extremely offended by this but i i also I, i'm sure there are people out there who are like what the fuck is happening which is you know i i feel like totally a totally legitimate thing to think about this film which I which I don't, but right, right. I, I could see why somebody would be like, "What the fuck?" If, if you're walking into a Tarantino film that's named Inglorious Bastards <laughs> and both words of the title are, are misspelled, then and you've already seen the Tarantino film before, and like you're entering with a expecting like a straight face like historical fiction drama, you're gonna have a bad time. Okay, but 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 Hitler gets shot in the face like 300 times. Who is gonna movie? complain about Hitler by getting shot Jew, in the face? Yeah. By the bear Jew, nevertheless. By the bear Jew, okay? That's the thing, it's such an easy target that I don't know that I particularly find it either funny or 
I would say, like, I don't know, riveting, because yeah. it's kind of like, well, yeah, we've all had that. Like, literally every time travel story, oh, somebody yeah. will say, hey, should we go kill Hitler? Like, it's not like he was reinventing the wheel. No, it, mm-hmm. it, not at all, but it was... So I don't have a problem with it, but I don't yeah. think that he did anything with it to make me go, yeah, Tarantino, you shoot that Hitler in the face. <laughs> that <laughs> Hitler? Like, there's multiples of them running Well, around. I mean, cinematically, there are. <laughs> but um, I guess comparing to them sorry i don't mean to bring up other films but because this is what you're asking about like i wouldn't say that the whole revisionist kind of historical inaccuracy serve a purpose in this film other than for him to like kind of like cackle like a little kid in the same way that like i think when he does it in like Django, it's actually empowering it's it's somebody literally rewriting the course of history in a way that uh you know both feels like cathartic because we've never seen that in cinema before and it doesn't feel as dramatic like, yeah like nor does it it's, feel it's not like killing hitler well right. yeah yeah it's not as dramatic and nor does it feel as i would say like morally right i mean when Django does it it's both like you know you you're in a way you're like yeah because like everything that's been done to him and yet well, you're it, also left there going should i be rooting for this but like i don't right. think that tarantino when we're watching hitler get shit in the face is like has any qualms about it whatsoever no. well it's it's not even about having qualms about it but but i feel like there are a lot of people who are world war 2 historians as we've yeah. seen many people mm-hmm. who are obsessed with world war 2 and and even for tarantino who uh, this is not a big surprise coming from him but it was I remember the first time seeing it for me, I'm just like, holy shit, they are not letting this go. They are going <laughs> to fuck that body up. All right, yeah. very good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it was that was very surprising to, for me the first time and uh, interesting, too, that they decided just to motorate through that. Nick, you were saying before that this was a film that you wish... Like, you could go back in time of any film and just show people in like the 1950s what they would think. Like, when I... When I'm seeing like Hitler getting his face like beaten in with like bullets <laughs> and like the bear just like losing his shit, like that that is is the moment that kind of like placed this firmly in like like a time period is like I could totally see this like being like a propaganda film, yeah, yeah. like in the 1950s, yeah. That's the other thing is that when I watch it, I I don't know that I'm in any way awestruck by any kind of audacity happening like in the same way that i'm like when i watch like the great dictator by mm. charles chaplin uh because there's a film is there something funny alex mm. no okay he's, he's uh, swallowing <laughs> his beer i just loved it i'm sorry <laughs> but in i had to smile the, the great dictator uh is it because i said charles instead of charlie yeah okay i loved it i don't know why i said that but that it's Some fine. people call it. It sounds that. so fancy. Charles Chaplin. <laughs> but maybe he didn't like being called Charlie. Well, you know, he was a serious yeah. person sometimes, yeah. like in The Great Dictator. And when that, at least when that drops, it's farce. But that's a movie that he made while Hitler was rising to power. And mm-hmm. so you think about, like, the power of cinema and, like, the, the audacity it takes for somebody to do that. It, it doesn't still feel like, I would say, that. Uh, Tarantino is like scratching a wound that's I wouldn't say not still open because of course it's still something that I people have to live with or whatever mm-hmm. but it's not in the same way that like we're still dealing with like race relations uh, in present day America like yeah. when Django does it so right. once again I don't know that like I feel like he's telling a joke that is not only something that I just don't find very funny but also that's kind of like a few years past his prime okay I think from a theater major perspective as well, I mean, there's this huge thing of, like, you know, letting go, you know, disbelief and everything and kind of just being in the moment. And I think for me, that was probably one of the biggest things when it comes to, like, the killing of Hitler, you know. And, um, I mean, you just kind of kept rolling with it. At least I did, just because you're like, 
well, we've already been put in this scenario. The title's spelled wrong in the <laughs> yeah. first place, you know? And you're yeah. kind of like, well, um, let's start there. And so kind of just, you know, kind of just immersing yourself in whatever, you know, setting is really placed in front of you. And you kind of just start rolling with it. And you're like, yeah, this could be, you know, this could be a, a decent idea and everything. Um, I definitely do agree that, like, the, the plot of having um, Shoshana kind of that, that I don't want to say typical, but um, that similar point of, you know, she's she's hiding and then, you know, you have to hide in plain sight and that kind of stuff. I mean, you definitely do see that very frequently with that time period of kind of, I mean, just in general. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's kind of nice, though, having, like, those little breathers every now and then of, like, the bastards yeah. and, and kind of just jumping in and being like, you know, we're going to kill some Nazis or Nazis. <laughs> Nazis, um, Nazis, yeah. <laughs> you know, and Put just kind of... <laughs> before the Z. <laughs> Nazis. Yeah. Um, but kind of just, like, jumping into it. And, um, I mean, I definitely... I, I mean... Obviously, history-wise, you're kind of like that's a total lie. But well, I mean- and, and not even just the Hitler, but about the the Christoph Waltz being like, well, I'm going to yeah. win the side for the Allies <laughs> here, and I'm just going to give you all this on a silver platter, and then I'm going to go off to Nantucket Island. It's like what? He was so close. I yeah. know. Well, he probably ended, ended up going there. That's he just true. had a that's big swastika in his yeah. forehead. I think um, probably one of the other things that, like, I guess relates to the historical thing of it is um when um hugo is actually sitting at the table in the basement bar and the gestapo officer like comes over you i mean you just play like a giant fanfare for this dude he means a lot he killed like a ton of gestapo everybody in the german army right. knows who yeah. hugo stiglitz yeah. is everyone knows who he is except and for yet, this guy except for this one gestapo officer and i mean i think it, as strange as it sounds, I mean, I can suspend my disbelief of, like, all the historical inaccuracies. But it's, like, in the actual film, like, right. once you're in it, you're like, no, no, he would recognize him right away. It's completely... Like, an, I'm with that know? as far as, like, a script should always follow its own rules. Like, yeah. it can rewrite a real-world context all at once, but if it mm-hmm. says one thing, then it cannot do mm-hmm. the other thing, the, the next scene. So, yeah. Right. Of course, that scene does involve the uh, the great callback to the uh, the Zoller thing, where... Uh, Hugo Stiglitz says to the Gestapo officer when he has the uh, the gun pointed at his uh, testicles. his testicles, saying, "From this distance, I'm a real Friedrich Zoller, and I just love it." <laughs> <laughs> that was good. This is really a random thought, but mm-hmm. as a film nerd, I love the uh, Samuel L. Jackson monologue about like film and the nitrate and uh, like her mm-hmm. collection or whatever. Yeah. Because that was actually, and I do think that's part of obviously why Tarantino's passion is coming through for this film. Because mm-hmm. besides the fact that he's a huge proponent for uh, using actual film to make movies these days, which I'm all for, not that everybody has to do it, but like th- the idea that we should somehow like burn all film because digital is cheaper is just asinine. It's funny, opinion. though, because... First off, that's dangerous. Yeah, I was going to say, as we this, know now. Right, as this we movie learned. literally says that we should not do that. <laughs> but if you, if you look at the like big film directors these days, where whether it be Tarantino, Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson, mm-hmm. Scorsese... And Nolan is doing it. They're, they're all basically fans of actual film. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, and if, if they want to do it, then like... I mean, I totally understand, like, the not that we have to get into a film versus digital, whatever, but... Oh, you could do that. We could, I was going to say, that. I could, but, like, <laughs> digital... hipster. <laughs> Pretty much. Damn, she said it. Yes. Hey, I agree. 
But hey, I'm all for it. Yeah, so I, was I like say. original film and everything. There's something like yeah. really original and I, genuine about it. When, when, when you saw Interstellar in the in the actual like IMAX screen for the first time and like seeing the graininess of yeah. it, oh man, that's great. And it's still intact on the actual like when you bring it home and whatever. It looks like a film that could have been filmed like 30 years ago or whatever, which I think is great because we have these new age effects and whatnot. But um, but yeah, no, like I that's part of what I love is that like that's that's why it does feel like his most personal film to date because there are so many little detours like the whole uh, explanation of film and nitrate and whatnot that just feel like that's so close to Tarantino's heart and whatnot. Um, but I also feel like that's probably where he got uh, somewhat, uh, I would say, led astray because he just went all out with it, which is both a good and bad thing because there are some of these scenes in this movie that I genuinely love and I, I don't dislike a single, so as much as I've been negative about this film. Should I just go into my final Why thoughts? Why not? You're, you're pretty I'm, much already giving it right now. So I'll do it now. But yeah, so as much as I criticize this film, I um, I would say I, I genuinely do enjoy it. It's just, it's not one of my favorites of his. And I do think it gets away from him in a in a way that I know he's better than for me. Hmm. Uh, so overall, if we're doing ratings, uh, I would give it a three and a half out of five. Like I, Because like I said, I, I pretty much love all of his films. And this is just toward the bottom of his rankings for me. And uh, But if you were to take... Any individual scene, well, most individual scenes from this film, at least, and just, you know, take it away from the context of the film and just show it to me. Like, I would watch it and be like, wow, that's a master filmmaker. It's just a matter of, like, me never having the motivation to want to sit down and watch this particular film because I don't know that by the time I finish it that it was worth my two hours and 30 minutes. If you were going to rank Tarantino films, would this be at the very bottom? It would not be at the very bottom because it's too well made for that. Like, So would you put, like, Reservoir Dogs at the bottom then? No, I would put, um, I want to say, now I'm starting to blink on all of his films, but... Kill Bill, Kill Bill 2... Um, actually, includes Death Proof. Death Proof. No, Death Proof is in my top three. I love Death Proof. Yeah, but me too. No, actually, you know what? I would say it's probably, I don't know if it's Reservoir Dogs or this one because I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs in quite some time, but mm-hmm. it's probably one of the two, yes. Okay. Yeah. But also, you know what? No, let me say this much. <laughs> and hold on. Now that we're, we're going to get this all out there Let's right now. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, I actually believe that I actually prefer this to Pulp Fiction because I believe I've said to you that I'm not a huge fan of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I give it the same rating as this, which is a film I really, really like, but I also sometimes find a chore to sit through. But um, uh, So I would say I'd probably put this on par with that. Okay. And those are like my... That Reservoir Dogs and uh, this one are kind of like my three least favorite films of his, but I still really enjoy them all. Well, I'm sure we'll get into more Tarantino films uh, as this show goes on. Hopefully, we can keep doing episodes. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, I love Inglorious Bastards. I loved it from the first time, sat in the theater, watching it, blown away by Christoph Waltz's performance as uh, Hans Landa. And uh, a lot of the other performances in this film, too, are just terrific. I know Nick isn't a, and you didn't really get into this, but you are not a huge fan of Brad Pitt. As, yeah, because there's really nothing I can really say to like back it up. I'm just not. I feel like he's just in a different movie, and yeah. uh, in a way that sticks out. Not like because Kill Bill has a lot of sequences which feel like, oh, this is his anime section, this is his western section, whatever. But I feel like that works to its benefit. Whereas this, I just feel like he's in a different movie, and it just kind of he's in Fury. Me. Kind of actually. It's actually I, I was gonna say it's, it's the same accent and everything, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like he's in that movie. Like, he's in like a Dirty Dozen ripoff type movie, mm-hmm. um, and like I'll watch that movie, but I don't want to watch that at the same time I'm watching the other movie, basically. Yeah, but I, I think he does a, a really good job for this role, and I think he was a good choice, and I think 
like most Tarantino films, he makes really solid choices. I mean, you look at how this film has boosted some of these actors' careers, and it's it's not an accident that Tarantino casts some of these people and they move on to bigger and better things. Um, you know, and the the scene with Michael Fassbender is probably my least favorite of the film, which I think a lot of people would probably say. Um, but at the same time, though, every time I watch this film, and I've seen it probably like six times now, I just like it as much, if not more, than the first time I saw it in the theater. And there are things to like about this film, and there's small little details about it. I talked about how much I like Eli Roth's uh, portrayal of the Bear Jew, um, and some of his facial expressions and some of the scenes, like the the kind of small smirk he gives and the way his eyes look when he sees that Hitler is actually there and he could go get to you know where he is, it, it just, those are just the little things that it involves Tarantino, involves Robert Richardson, and it involves at you know Eli Roth on the on the end of the camera and seeing him and, and seeing his portrayal of that character that are just great for me and the whole package is just a lot of fun. And a great time, and I, I enjoy it every time, and I give this four and a half out of five. Oh, wow. I'm a big fan, and this and Django Unchained always are kind of flip-flopping for me for my second and third favorite films of uh, Tarantino. So I am a big fan of these, and uh, I'm a big fan of his work in general. So I'll move it on to Sam. All right. Um, I generally just adore this film. Um, this one was kind of like Inception for me, where I had to watch it quite a few times in order to kind of find that love of it essentially um but it only took within maybe like two or three watches essentially and um it was something that i really really enjoyed just for um i mean just being able to watch these characters really kind of come to life and um really their interactions and everything it's a really fascinating story to or stories um to follow and i think the the actors do a phenomenal job um like alex said about you know christoph waltz and everything and how much i adore him and um and i mean it was really great just watching these people kind of really take on these roles and really embody them um you know no matter you know even if there are historical inaccuracies or whatever um it's really i like that he created this world kind of that, um, I mean, it's always Tarantino though, that you kind of step into this world that's a little different and it's definitely skewed a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it's something that definitely, um, for me, it, it always keeps my attention. I mean, even if it, even if maybe sometimes I do have to pause it after a while and be like, all right, I got to go do something else, but I'll be back to it. Um, I mean, sometimes, you know, you just have other things in the day. Um, but aside from that, I definitely, um, I think that some of the, the bright colors and everything and, um, some of that, the, the settings and, and the kind of the cinematography of it too is just, you know, beautifully done. And, um, I mean, when you combine that with the actors on that side as well, it's just, it's really well done. And, um, I also find it really great that, you know, the language kind of, it flows very easily, um, for me at least, um, especially seeing that you've got, you know, two foreign languages, um, that you're trying to, you know, battle with aside from the native English. There's three, isn't it? Cause Italian gets spoken too. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very well. I might add. <laughs> Bongiorno. Forgot about that one too. Um, but I mean, it's, it's great how seamless that, that yes. kind of worked for me. Um, even if there wasn't subtitles at one point, <laughs> um, but that's okay. Um, I thought it was just really well done on his part. Um, considering that as like we had talked about previously, that this is kind of like 
a comeback film essentially for Tarantino and um, I, th- I think he did a beautiful job with it and kind of, you know, really getting himself back out there and being like, hey, you know, don't worry, nothing's died yet. We're just going to kind of revive things and kind of twist things around and really keep you, you know, kind of watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, overall, I'd probably rate it about four and a half as well. Okay. Out of five. Okay. Um, I definitely like Django Unchained a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but Inglorious Bastards is definitely like, you know, number two with Tarantino films. It's funny because when the the trailer came out for this film, and this was six years ago now, mm-hmm. I felt like, man, that that looks terrible. And, and I actually kind of felt the same way with Django Unchained. And I, I've just kind of got to the point with Tarantino where it doesn't even matter. Like it, <laughs> like the Hateful Eight trailer could be the worst pile of dog shit I've ever seen. And I'm sure <laughs> it's going to be a fantastic movie. So yeah. I can't believe we haven't seen one if it's coming out in December. That's one of those weird movies, though, that I've talked about with you that I'm I still will not believe that it's going to be released later this year just because it will they're already I, planning like the 70 millimeter release and that and that that's great but they didn't see they didn't even finish production on it until like late I June. Think, if anything the whole lack of marketing is simply because he's trying to keep it somewhat under wraps after the whole script leave. it yeah. could also be too yeah but at, at the same time it's surprising especially with the way hollywood moves these days where from pre-production to a release, it's usually like a two-year span, and this is really being done in really only like a little over a year. They so. only yeah. released the the one like motion graphic trailer, and that was to, like announced like who had been casted in the film. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, so Tucson, how about you with Inglorious Bastards? You're the final rating, so let's hear it. Um, I'd have to say that this is far from my favorite Tarantino film, okay. but it's still a very well done film. Um, I actually really enjoy the the storyline of the bastards bounce with uh, Susanna's um, like comeback against the Nazis, and yeah, I think the the casting was was on the mark in the entire way. It's like I mean, I'm just going to echo the sentiment that Christoph Waltz is obviously the breakout of this entire <laughs> cast. Like he's gone from this to like being cast in Django to being cast in the new James Spectre, Bond film. Yeah. So big eyes as well. Yeah. Big eyes. It's a bug eyes, isn't it? No, big, big is it eyes. big eyes? Yeah, big bug eyes. eyes. Really? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Big out. eyes with uh, Amy Adams. Yeah, <laughs> I, I heard that was a, that was a pretty oh, solid film from because like, okay. that's uh, mm-hmm. God, what's his name? I forget. Bug eyes. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, Eli, <laughs> Eli Roth and Brad Pitt were excellent in their their roles. I love Aldo Rain. He's probably now one of my favorite um, Tarantino characters, just for his. He just doesn't give a shit. It was like Barn Jar now. He's just an asshole. I love him for that. Um, I would Hans Landa. Hans <laughs> yeah, I would. I would have to uh, rate this film a three and a half out of five. Okay. Yeah. So we, we we've gotten Pretty it on. Divided. Yeah, yeah, we've gotten Even onto the divide. hit list though. Right. It's made it. Yeah. It did. That's uh two out of three weeks we've gotten a film onto the hit list. We probably update that. You should yeah, probably <laughs> we haven't had a lot of additions lately, but There Will Be Blood is on it and now Inglorious Bastards also joins it too. Mm-hmm. Both good films. They yeah. are. Speaking of good films, we may or may not have a good film on next week's episode, as uh, we will be reviewing the new Mission Impossible film. Oh, we will. Which is uh, called Rogue Nation, the fifth entry into the series. And for me, I have not seen, uh, in fact, I'm just going to watch before we see the um, the new one. I'm going to watch Ghost Protocol, which by all accounts is one of the best, if not the best in the series. That's right. Uh, and it, it seems like it's it's fall fo- it's uh, followed a Fast and Furious sort of uh, actually know, kind of arc to me, where it's only gotten a little 
different, but quite better as it's gone on. Quality-wise, it's followed, I would say, the Fast and Furious franchise. Okay. Uh, although, I will say, the first one is actually pretty good. But it's most like the Alien franchise as far as, like, it's a director's franchise. Mm-hmm. Somebody comes in does whatever it wants to do with this archetype. And that's why each film, like whether you might think one's the worst or the best, like I can totally understand why anybody would make a case for any of them because they yeah, are so different. We have Brad Bird who directed Ghost Protocol. We have, have John Woo doing the second yeah. one. Um, we have J.J. Uh, Abrams, doing, J. J. The Abrams one. doing the third And we have Brian De Palma doing the first. I mean, that's like a pretty much all-star director. And we've list. mentioned everyone who is not the director of the movie we're talking about next week, so yeah. that was good. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even remember. It's McQuarrie? Christopher, yeah, McQuarrie or yeah. something. Um, who did like Jack Reacher? I mean, from what I've heard, it's like he, they took the best parts of his previous films and just made it suit this one. So um, I like Jack Reacher. Yeah, well, yeah. obviously uh, Tom Cruise approved of his work in yes. that. As he, uh, but he it's Robert Elswit shooting it, who's oh, a, okay. one of the best cinematographers working today, in my opinion. And so. we have that great plane scene, which I'm sure we'll get into the practical oh, effects man. from that film next week. That's the, that's the other thing about this compared to like all the other like Marvel films or even like Fast and the Furious is that Tom Cruise is so adamant about doing his own stunts that like even if like I feel like he's a crazy person, I'm like, yeah, you know what, <laughs> you, you deserve my money because at least you're doing something. But but doing his own stunts and like the plane scene is like on a whole different oh, yeah. level. Well, yeah, no, no. He's not just like tumbling around like onto a mat or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> the fact that he actually strapped himself to this plane and not only did this, but did it eight times to make sure that they would get the right shot from it. Uh, like, that, that, is, that is actually yeah. insane. It's going to be a real kick in the dick when a seagull flies into him and ruins his face. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that was actually one of the concerns they had, and we'll yeah, talk about I'm this. Sure. But they said that because he, they wanted it to look real, like they couldn't let him wear anything that would look abnormal, obviously, to protect him. So if something were to, like, let's say, like a bug or I don't know what it was, but like they, they, they started mentioning things that, like, because he'd be up at an altitude and going at a whatever the speed the plane was going yeah. at, that the littlest thing could actually make the biggest impact because he was going so fast. And so, like, the only thing he was allowed to wear was goggles. But if it hit him anywhere that wasn't like where I think he was wearing like some kind of vest but if it hit him in the face or it, like in the arm and leg whatever like he actually could have like gotten like huge wounds and gashes so I, he's insane yeah. thank god for that we already knew that though <laughs> yeah so that'll be next week and uh, if you have any reviews on uh, that episode or in that movie or on Inglorious Bastards or anything else we've done or anything just in general you can send them on to filmtankshow at gmail.com also, uh, you can find us on FilmTankShow.com where we have all our episodes and we have most of our episodes on iTunes, although some of the older ones are starting to starting to leave, unfortunately. Because right. we're just, you know, doing so many episodes. Yeah, that, we're, we're like, what, like 28, 9 total with the bonus episodes now or something? I was going to say, it's up there almost 30 or so. So that's exciting. Yeah. But yeah, we've got quite, quite a few. And um, also, you can also uh, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FilmTankShow as well. So from Nick Cheney, Tucson Egan, and Sam Sharma. Shamara. Shamara. You had yeah. it right the first you were time. Shamara. Yeah. I know. Come on. It was a good try. You want to do it again? Yeah, no, it's fine. I'll, 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 I'll be wrong. That's okay. Yes, well, Thank you very wrong. much, by the way, for joining our show. Yeah, and no problem. Really, really enjoyed having you. Thanks and, for uh, having you. me. I hope everybody enjoyed listening to our show, and um, we will catch you next time.